Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to Tag Team, Pokemon trading card games from your podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined, as always, by one of my good friends, this time, Andrew Mahone. <laughs> Andrew, yes. welcome back from Brazil. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Riley. Thank you for asking. I had the most wonderful trip in Brazil. The people were amazing, and I got to meet so many awesome folks. I mean, I couldn't believe how many people there actually knew what tricky gym was and watched tricky gym and and like i told you it. man i told you before you went you got shooters down there i had no idea dude <laughs> i had serious. no idea it was it was i had no idea so shout out to all my homies from brazil it was awesome and i loved getting to meet you that was fantastic i really had no perspective having never been to south america before you know i don't speak a i don't speak a I don't speak a lick of Portuguese, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was really heartwarming getting to meet so many people who were, uh, uh, who were into Tricky Gym. So that was, uh, that was phenomenal. And then, you know, I got to go to the beach. I got to uh, explore some of Sao Paulo uh, and I got to play in the events. It's, uh, it was a great time. I got to ask, what was your number one highlight moment from visiting Sao Paulo? visiting sao paulo um i mean i went to the beach the beach is not in sao paulo the beach was probably my favorite thing that i did yeah but uh my favorite part of sao paulo was going to the masp museum it's an art museum uh in downtown sao paulo which was really beautiful and uh i was um I was pounding around with my buddy Joe, who is a Fulgrip Games local, who I uh, went on the trip with, and Joe is just a super cool dude. We had a really fun time, and it was awesome how, like, uh, you know, you go into an experience like that as maybe, like, acquaintances. We were friends, but then you come out of, you know, a trip like that, and it's like, now Joe is my good friend, right? Totally, yeah. Uh, we have these deeper experiences now, and at the art museum, I got to go full-on art nerd you know on him and just like you know be a geek and i was chatting i'm like all right this is what this piece i was like joe what do you think this piece stands for right what do you think what what kind of symbolism is going on and it, yeah i was like going full art history on him it was so, yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah i really do appreciate that when you visit like new countries that you t have a tendency i've noticed to visit the art museums and i i like that personally like i like getting to experience the culture of the place through art love it yeah i mean art's like the universal language right so uh Absolutely. i love that and you get to you get to learn a lot about culture and, and perspectives and things like that uh through art and that's that's one of the things that it's uh it's best at doing so definitely loved my experience at the mosp that's awesome man I, i'm so glad you got to have that experience it you know it's kind of spur of the moment to to choose to go and it seems like it was a very worthwhile trip uh, I'm kind of jealous, to be honest. I wish I had more than one vacation day to use <laughs> for the entire rest of yes. the year. That is, a, that is a perk of being a streamer guy is that I guess I kind of set my own schedule. So that's uh, that's nice. They feel like, you know, I it's funny. They're tax write-offs, you know. They're kind <laughs> of like my my business conferences, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, I got a business conference in Brazil this week. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's just part of the it's part of the gig. I get to you know, go and meet all these awesome people and experience these new places. And it's all, you know, it's all part of the, uh, I, I guess it's part, it's part of the content machine. I'm making a vlog right now on my trip and this one's going to be really special. I'm very excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that one as well when it comes off, comes out and uh, showing it off to my friends who have enjoyed your Japan vlog. Yeah. And that's the, it's crazy now because the Japan vlog, the Japan vlog was a very, you know, it had its own kind of tempo and vibe and personality. It was very beautiful and kind of like just a sentimental trip. But the Brazil trip is decidedly different. I mean, we yeah. went to the beach, you know, uh, and it, it is like very kind of like, you know, poppy and loud and fast <laughs> and fast paced. And and that is going to be. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, to edit up and, and, uh, and to see just the contrast between the different places. And, uh, and, and I think it's going to be really cool. Yay. That's so exciting. Uh, and that's all to say, like, this is all centered around, you know, your business conference of the <laughs> Latin America International Championship. 
uh, one of the biggest tournaments of the year, one of the most prestigious tournaments of the year. And I'm so excited to sort of dig into it and talk about it. JW and I last week, we recorded like a mid tournament overview. We talked about what was going on through day one. We gave our predictions for day two. I think it'll be fun to to both revisit those and then also just talk about, you know, what actually happened on the ground. Andrew, of course, you played while you were there. Uh, do you want to briefly walk through your personal experiences at the Latin America International Championship? Yes, I would love to. So I did some testing. I did quite a bit of testing leading up to the trip. And uh, I did a, a lot of testing with Joe, who I said, again, is Full Grip Games local here in Akron. Uh, his girlfriend works here at the shop, Bella, and, you know, they're they're good good friends. So I uh, did some testing with Joe, who's been playing for about two years, you know, so a little bit newer, um, but, but pretty good at the game. I mean, he's really coming along. He's kind of in that stage where he's really excited. He's really uh, hyped and trying to get, like, his first really good finish. He's day two, like, one regional before, you know, the potential's there. He's just, you know, he's constantly putting in the work to try and get to that next level. So he was he was really uh, liking Charizard, and yeah. we were looking at the... Uh, the Heavenly Kings winning Charizard list, you know, with the Toad Scroll tech, trying to judge, <laughs> you know, trying to judge how popular or powerful Baxcalibur would be. Ultimately, you know, Joe decided that we didn't need to play the Toad Scroll uh, and decided uh, instead to play a Panic Mask uh, to help tech for Gardevoir, which he decided would be more popular. I was rooming with Joe and trainer Chip Richie. Uh, and I had reached out to Chip because Joe didn't get into the initial uh, the initial flight or in the initial registration for LAIC. So I was like, holy smokes, I was planning on traveling with Joe. Joe didn't get in. I got to make like a I got to make a backup plan. So I like reached out to Chip and Chip's like, yeah, I think we could fit, you know, we could fit you in. And Chip is staying with Azul and Grant Manley and uh, Caleb Gadamer. And so then Joe did get in and I was like, well, do you have room for one more? You know, and they were like, yeah, okay, well, we'll just get another room. So, uh, so we had this big group of me, Joe, Chip, Grant Manley, Azul and Caleb. And so yeah. we're all testing leading up to the event. Uh, Azul's group with Caleb, they're really liking Charizard and Baxcalibur. I'm really liking Gardevoir and Joe's really liking Charizard. They end up going with Baxcalibur. Joe plays Charizard. I play Gardevoir. And I had, uh, I had a pretty okay experience. I'd say, like, I felt pretty strong out the gates. I played against a Charizard round one, and I had done a ton of testing against Charizard because that's what Joe was playing, and me and Joe were just <laughs> running games. So I beat Charizard round one. Uh, I played a Guardi Mirror round two, which I was able to win. Uh, I think both of those sets were 1-0, like 35-minute game ones. Classic. And then, like, yep, I'm like, and this is just what I'm, like, probably going to be doing a lot of. I just... You know, if my opponent doesn't scoop, like that's just how it's gonna go. Like you're, if you're gonna lose a 35 minute game one, you're gonna, you know, what are you expecting to do? So then, uh, round three, I play against a Guardian Mirror, and I just barely tie. My opponent wins uh, at the end of turns in game two, and then things really start going off the tracks in round four. I play against an Iron Valiant Urshifu deck. Ugh. This player did not end up doing well at the event, and, uh, you know, I don't even think that it was a good call for the event. I was pretty <laughs> upset, yeah. you know, because I was like, how are you 2-0-1 with this Iron Valiant Urshifu deck? You're just trying to donk people. There's a ton of Guardi here. If I just set up at all, I just, I just stomp you. So, uh, anyways, I start my 160 hit point Ralts and, uh, and a 60 hit point Celebration Mew. I get donked, so that I'm like, okay... And I didn't find any battle VIP pass, of course. So then <laughs> I I roll up again, and I'm like, okay, round two, or game two, like, I'm going to just find a battle VIP pass. This is all going to be fine. All I have to do is establish something, and I'm good. And sure enough, I started two Pokemon. My opponent yoga looped and knocked the other out, and it was just oh. a, a back to, back-to-back donk. And yeah. after that, I was like, okay. I was feeling pretty bad about everything after that. I was frustrated to go from 201 to 211, and I'm like, okay, well, now... Now, with Guardi, too, you're like, okay, well, no more losing. I, I need to just, like, I just need to, like, win all these all these next games. Beat a Baxcalibur, uh, and then, unfortunately, lost to a Guardi Mirror. I was really missing the third rare candy. 
my opponent got set up and attacked first in both of our games, and that really allowed them to be able to take command of the game and, and you know, limit the amount of Curlias in play since they were attacking first. Um, and that momentum, in a lot of ways, can just carry you through. Because if you're playing mm -hmm. from behind, you're just hoping your opponent whiffs something eventually, and if they don't, then they'll just win. So my opponent was able to attack first in both games, and that was no good. Then I, uh, then I beat a Lost Zone Giratina, uh, I lost to a Lost Zone Radiant Charizard deck that played Pokemon Go uh, Articuno, and that was really terrible for me because I cut the Jirachi from the list the night before the event, so Sableye was able to spread damage onto my bench. They played the Devolver TM as well, um, and my game plan was then to use Cresselia to Moonglow reverse damage off my board and take knockouts, but with Cramorant just able to knock out Cresselia, <laughs> like, oh, it was horrible. And the fact that I couldn't get a quick attack going, like, ever, I just wasn't drawing very hot, but also the third rare candy might have helped me to get sure. faster attacks, which would have helped in those, you know, situations against more aggressive decks like uh, Lawson. So, at that point, I'm feeling pretty dejected. I'm 4-3-1. and one. And I need to win my last round to make top 256 in order to get uh, 80 championship points, which would be a, still a fine turnout. And sure enough, my final round, I get a no-show. Let's go. <laughs> which is Love exactly it. what I needed because I was sick of playing this deck. I'm never, ever, ever, ever putting a rare candy in any tournament deck ever again. I'm holding you to that. Thank you. And please do. <laughs> Just look at the finals, man. Yeah. Maridon versus Ente Valiant. Rare Candy is a trap. You won't catch you won't catch me playing it again. No shot, bro. I felt like I was at just at the whim of finding those things and uh and and giving your opponent like a three-turn head start in games is just unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. And let's maybe transition then to talking about the the broader landscape of the tournament. So Gardevoir was the most popular deck in day one and day two. It was overwhelmingly so, the most popular deck. A lot of people seem yeah. to have reached that same conclusion. The Gardevoir is really strong. I, I do want to call out, like, there were three Gardevoirs in top eight. Like, So not only was it most popular, it did carry that momentum through. And yeah. the three lists up there did look pretty similar to the list that you were playing in the end. So even down to, like, the two rare candies. So, you know, yeah. I, I know you had your bad beats, but... You know, that's just sometimes the way the tournament goes. It does seem like... I mean, like... frankly, like the donk that one round, like if, that, if that's a win, yeah. you know, I'm in, day two, I'm in day two, right? So it's like, yeah, it's just small little things can happen like that that can make or break the tournaments. And I didn't feel... Ter I, the call was fine, I think, right? Yeah, it totally, totally. And so Gardevoir, obviously, like a really strong play for the event. Uh, JW and I both predicted that three Gardevoir would make top eight, and we were both no right. No way. <laughs> three Gardevoir <laughs> did make top eight. Um, looking outside of, of the finalists with Maridon and Entei Valiant, we also had a Giratina Lost Zone box, a Lost Box Charizard, which was my personal favorite deck heading into the event, and a Snorlax Stall. Uh, one of them made it made it through. So um, compared to JW and I's prediction, we were really into Chen Pao. We thought Chen Pao would would make a bigger showing in that top eight than it ended up doing both of us predicted two <laughs> and both of us were very wrong because there were zero so only one in top 32 yeah and was... one in top 16 as well to be fair well the same one it was <laughs> yeah. just, there was just that one yeah, ian rob made top 16 but then i'm saying in top 32 because there were none between yeah. 16 and 32 and ian rob also tweeted that he would never play that deck again. Yeah, and so to be honest, I was never—I've never been a fan of Chen Pao. I don't think Iron Hands like really fixed the problems that Chen Pao had. I've said as much on the cast many times. Like Iron Hands, right? Makes it being the, a pile. <laughs> it like makes the whole Radiant Greninja situation. It's a simpler version of doing that, but it yeah. doesn't like change the landscape of the game in a way. You know what I'm saying? Like. You still have all the same problems that you have pre-Iron Hands. And Iron Hands just makes that route easier. It It's not like you didn't have that route before, even, with taking multiple prizes in a turn. So, to be honest, not surprised to see Chen Pao fall off. But I, 
I did look at it with a maybe a more hopeful lens <laughs> heading into the tournament. I I agree. I thought that I thought that I was I was ready to concede that Chen Pao might just be the best Iron Hands deck, and that is the conclusion that Azul and Caleb and Grant Manley and Chip came to in their testing, and it, yeah. and it was it was cool getting to kind of watch them go through it and. They ended up settling on Chen Pao Baxcalibur. You've got a group of some of the best players in the world bringing this deck to the event. Azul doesn't make day two, ends up dropping with a, a few losses. And then Caleb Grant and, uh, uh, and Jishen, actually Jishen was staying with them as well. Um, they all made top 64 with Chen Pao Baxcalibur. But that's, those are like, I mean, we're talking about the, the best finishing Baxcalibur decks, and you thought, I mean, you guys predicted two in top eight. I certainly thought there'd be two in top eight, and then we've got one in top 16, yeah. zero in top 32, and then three of the best players in the world, top 64. Granted, top 64, you know top 64 gets $2,000 yeah. $2, now, man. You know $2,000 for top 64 did I see? Man. Yeah, I got to go to more ICs. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> so yeah Chen Pao definitely a loser of this event and you know we, when we think of Iron Hands now it seems like Maridon is the deck that it feels like the narrative around Iron Hands has flip-flopped over time right like initially people are like oh of course it's going to go in Maridon you can you can Maridon for it that's awesome <laughs> and then then it became no it's too hard to power up and ride on it's going to go in Chen Pao. It's going to go in Lugia with Earthen Vessel. Um, yeah. And then Maridon wins, I believe, seniors and masters at LAIC. Iron Valley actually also, Iron Valley Ente also won, uh, I believe, juniors. Juniors. <laughs> so, so those two decks completely swept LAIC, which is absolutely insane, I got to say. What does it say, Riley? What, <laughs> what does it say? Yes, we, had, we have Maridon winning... Won a regionals, now is won in international championships. You know, Entei, a deck that a lot of people kind of wrote off as being maybe just like a speedy beat stick that is, you know, it carries some bad matchups. Uh, what do we have to, what, what does this mean? These two big basic decks rising to the top. Yeah, I think in general, like, it harkens back to it, to something that you and I have personally thought for a long time and that's just big basic strategies are reliable um above all else they're going to be reliable and they're going to beat down on strategies that aren't as reliable and you know when you look at the makeup of the top eight you know gardevoir it can be taken advantage of by these big basic decks especially with the addition of iron hands you know maridon used to struggle in that matchup but now it's able to take some quicker knockouts and that one prize differential could be the game um and 100%. if you and if you attack with it twice, you just win, you know, so you're just putting exactly. that on the table. And then Entei Valiant like really takes advantage of those evolution decks uh, much more directly with the Iron Valiant pings and the yoga loop. So it kind of tracks that these decks would perform well, you know, over the course of the entire tournament, Gardevoir did super well. But in the makeup of this top eight, all it takes is one stumble point for those decks to really beat through that matchup and carry all the way same thing goes for lost box right like it's so easy for lost box to just have one stumble point and in, with an iron hands or with a yoga loop that stumble point is like unacceptable <laughs> in that game of margins uh, so that's that's why i think ultimately like the big deck big basic decks succeeded is they're just reliable and can take advantage of the other decks not being as reliable in the same capacity um, i want to talk about iron valiant first because JW and I did trash talk Iron Valiant leading into day two of LAIC. Me too. Um, I also did. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. And, I called it not a serious meta threat. Yeah. And I'll I'll admit <laughs> that I was wrong. I'll also say I hadn't really given the Entei version as much uh, time of day as maybe I should have. Uh, a lot of my opinion was based on the Urshifu variant, which I stand by. I think that deck's trash. Um, me too that deck is total trash yes. i think if you're playing urshifu just play the whole rapid strike deal you know like why are you playing this iron valiant thing that's just silly um i think yeah, the Entei, intellion's just more powerful yeah. yeah it's just more powerful and it synergizes better 
Um, yeah. The Entei, I actually do think, has a little bit better of a synergy with Iron Valiant than the Urshifu does um, because you can take those bigger knockouts with Entei, you know, through the assistance mm-hmm. of Iron Valiant pings. Uh, it's a little quicker out of the gates. And so you, and the whole theme of Iron Valiant is to be kind of quick and place damage quickly and take advantage of your opponent. Urshifu has to evolve, so implicitly doesn't fit in that same paradigm. Um, and I think the Fleet-Footed actually makes a huge difference in that deck. That deck is so clunky. You know, you're playing, like, so many Switch cards. Uh, yeah. You need to be able to, like, actually hit stuff over the course of the game. And that incremental advantage accrued by one to two Fleet-Footed a turn does make a big difference. Uh, and that's something that Urshifu, again, cannot do. So I, I definitely, like, underestimated the Entei variant. I think it's pretty good, and I... I pulled up the play limitless stats on the Entei variant just to get a sense of its landscape in the metagame. It's actually got a lot of really solid matchups. And I think even in the finals, that matchup is very close um, and potentially even favored for Entei if they're hitting their stuff consistently. Um, yeah, we we saw that Noah Sawyer bricked a little bit, which is, you know, the weakness, I would say, of the of the deck. But um, really, I think the bad matchup for the Entei variant are some decks that aren't super popular right now. Fusion Mew, Nightmare Mode matchup. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you're really not wanting to see that. Uh, some of the more traditional, like, Single Strike Lugia, Nightmare Mode matchup. You're really not trying to see that. Um, but that wasn't what made up the majority of LAIC. Right. And so you're you're able to take advantage of the decks that you do like to see, the Gardevoirs, the Charizards, um, the Lost Zone boxes, the things that you can take advantage of with the pings. So. Um, you know, props to Noah for kind of like seeing through the fog and, and making that call. Um, he's been playing for a long time, and, and this is his spikiest finish, I would say, yet. So um, very cool to see. Yes, and uh, I played against Noah at Worlds, actually, in day one, I believe. And he was playing the Rapid Strike uh, Intellian VMAX, Urshifu VMAX deck. So <laughs> to see that kind of like the the love of the spread strategy kind of carry through to a very successful finish was uh, was definitely neat. And I'm sure that there was some... Uh, there was some of those of those skills that he had accrued playing the Intellian deck kind of carry over to Iron Valiant with uh, Yoga Loop playing uh, playing a part. And definitely, I think the anti deck is here to stay. Uh, you know, just even glancing over in the world of Twitter, there are so many people who have picked up this deck and are taking it to their local to their league challenge. All this sort of stuff. Oh yeah. This deck is going to be around and you have to factor it in a way and you have to respect it in a way maybe you didn't have to going into LAIC. It is super popular now. People love playing this kind of deck. Uh, you're going to see it a lot at your tournaments. Yes, it's getting the whole Maridon treatment right now. It is. Ente is here. I've got some people in my in my Twitch chat who have been and you know who you are. <laughs> Icky. All right, there is there are people who have been just so excited for Ente to finally be good. I, they've been, you know, trying to play Entei the entire time. One, the one yeah. legendary beast that was not as good as the others, right? <laughs> and they've, been, you know, and now there's like a good Entei deck, and people are woo, you know, just absolutely loving it. And it's it's a kind of strategy that I think will draw a lot of players in the fact that. You can overrun decks like Gardevoir and Lost Box, which are really grindy, like big brain thinker decks, right? <laughs> the fact that you could just like overrun and pummel those decks with brute force uh, is going to be attractive to, to a lot For of sure. players, I think. You know, because Guardi and Lost Box are the kind of decks that I think many players consider to be the most annoying decks to play against. Right. Yeah. Uh, for for one reason or another, they have a lot of game actions. Um, they take a long time uh, for your opponent to complete their turns and to be able to just like kind of spank those decks and run them off the board, I think is probably extremely satisfying and something that a lot of players are going to be excited to do. Yeah. And also just like the the deck is fun, right? You get to switch around yeah. and place damage, like a lot of cool, interesting actions every turn. So I can see why people like it. And I think it is you know, worth specifically calling out. It is really cool and interesting to me that we've had the three legendary beasts. You know, They're all effectively the same card with some minor variations in HP and right. retreat cost. Um, 
They all have different mechanisms to power them up and play them, but all three of them have seen very significant meta success over the course of their lifetime without feeling like oppressive cards on their own. And I think that's just really sick, <laughs> to be honest. I think that's really cool. Um, and I kind of like that they're all mirror images of each other. It, it uh, makes it fun to see the different ways they can be successful. Yeah. Yes, it it is cool. I mean, Entei coming in here at the end uh, and and making its presence felt. Same with Magma Basin. I mean, Magma Basin is just a card that it it's a good card. Yeah, How could totally. it not be good? <laughs> a stadium that accelerates energy is nuts. <laughs> I know. And it's like you know, you're as a longtime Pokemon player, you're looking at a card like Magma Basin. Like, how is this card not good? Right? <laughs> it's just so insane. Like, imagine if Maridon had access to that stadium. Like, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, we'd be playing four of that thing in our Maridon decks, easy peasy. <laughs> easily yeah you, know, you wouldn't you wouldn't need to play flaffy at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't need to evolve anything it's great yeah we don't need to evolve anything bro right <laughs> um so to see that card see some play and get some love is uh is definitely cool is as well i was certainly very surprised to see Entei valiant uh rise to the top tables uh there weren't many and i think like it's you look at the results it's noah and then there was Magnus Peterson got top 64, and then one player got top 128. So that's three, yeah. right? Uh, so Noah, you know, very good player, been playing for a long time, being able to uh, really, uh, you know, really uh, capitalize on some strong matchups. And, you know, when you look at the fact that 20%, it was more, it was like 24% of the day two field was Gardevoir. Yeah. Um, and being able to just kind of farm that matchup must have really paid off for Noah at this event. Were you expecting 20% Gardevoir Metashare? That's something I was blown away, and I would not have chose to play Gardevoir if I knew it was going to be dang near a quarter of the field. I did expect Gardevoir to be the most popular deck, but I didn't expect it mm. to be at that level of the most popular deck, you know? Because you can be the most popular deck and be cruising at like 15%, you know, and the next deck yes, down is 14%. Right. And that's kind of what I was right. expecting for Gardevoir. Uh, but day one and day two completely blew everything else out of the water in terms of meta share. I was really not expecting that. I thought people were more excited about some of the new archetypes than they ended up actually being in practice. Um, I'm not I'm not really sure how exactly that ended up that way. Gardevoir, of course, is, is super strong and it shows with its results. but. Um, I would not have nailed down the quarter of the meta being Gardevoir. Yeah, that really that really caught me off guard for <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I mean, I would have expected like more of a showing from Lost Box personally. I I would have expected Chen Pao to be more popular than it was. Um, and honestly, I expected Rory Moon to be more popular than it was, but that also might have been like a card availability thing. Maybe like people just don't have the deck yet um, since it's so soon after the set dropped. No shot, dude. That deck just stinks. Yeah, but I expect it to be popular. It's a different concept, right? So. I guess so, but like, I don't know. After playing it, you have to, if if it's popular, and then you get your hands on it, and then you realize that it stinks, you're probably gonna put it down. So, <laughs> I think that the card is popular. People like it, but I think people also kind of correctly Our identified yeah. this that it was. Uh, that it was not the the best call. Now let's let's talk about that a really really quick. I mean, Roaring Moon uh, was this kind of existential threat going into the event, and it's one of the reasons why I was not really considering Maridon because it felt like Roaring Moon was just the superior big basic deck, but it felt like Roaring Moon didn't have any of the tricks to be able to deal with decks like Gardevoir, yeah. uh, and the energy switch Radiant Greninja thing just wasn't really... That's such a it. gimmick. What, That's it so fake. It wasn't enough. Yeah. 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 I I think that's what it really boils down to, is Maridon already had tricks in that it was just so simple that you could play Disruption, uh, or, you know, just get out of the gate so easily and so streamlined that, you know, you can Iono turn two and turn three, you can judge when you want to 
Roaring Moon doesn't have that same flexibility because you have to be playing Professor Seda's every turn, ideally. And even then, like Roaring Moon, I've said this before, but Roaring Moon's second attack is not that good. Like it's acceptable, but the condition on it, like there will be games where it hurts you and you can't take the knockout that you need to. Um, and yeah, I, I just think the deck's just kind of a pile and that's fine. Like it's cool. It's streamlined. It's got that turbo dark energy that people love of <laughs> just like slinging off dark patches and items like crazy. But I just don't think it's all there to really succeed. And Maridon did get new tools as well with this set, particularly, yeah. you know, we're thinking of Iron Hands um, as a, a way to accelerate the game state, which frankly, Maridon did want against decks like Gardevoir and Charizard to have that little bit of extra push. Uh, a lot of those games have come down to like your one or two prizes short of being able to close out the game before they could take their three knockouts on on your big basics. And Iron Hands directly contributes to that win con, whereas Roaring Moon effectively fell into the same trap that Rana did before, where you're just attacking with three two prizers for like no real efficient trading. Speaking of new tools, Riley. I think it's never been a better time to pick up some new tools for your men's grooming for Manscaped. For serious. For those of you who are unaware, the Lawnmower 5.0 is on the horizon. And Andrew and I both are huge, huge fans of Manscaped's products. Uh, I'm actually wearing my Manscaped boxers right now (laughs) on Thanksgiving Day. And I am so, so thankful for them, let me say. (laughs) So... If you are interested in taking care of yourself, which I think is a primo thing to be doing as you head into your Pokemon tournaments, make sure you're feeling good, taken care of, got your, you know, got your shampoo, conditioner, your deodorant, your beard trimmed, then head over to manscaped.com. And if you use code tag team at checkout, that's T-A-G-T-E-A-M, we get not only 20% off, but free shipping. I mean, come on, we're not paying for shipping in 2023. <laughs> head on over to manscaped.com. User code. This not only supports the cast, but it also just supports yourself. Uh, if you got loved ones as well with the holidays coming up, these make great gifts. Uh, these are like exactly the kinds of things when I think of like good Christmas gifts, it's like something that someone would want, but wouldn't necessarily take the step to buy themselves. Manscaped products are like exactly in that category <laughs> for me, where people might not take yes. that step, but they'll really appreciate it if you do it for them. So, hand over, use the code, support the cast. And thank you so much to Manscaped for their ongoing support of Tech Team. Indeed. <clears throat> All right. So we've referenced Maridon a lot. Let's maybe close out sort of the retrospective look at LAIC by talking about Maridon, and then we can project ahead as we wrap up for today. So Maridon did win <sighs> at LAIC. We, we just keep coming back, man. I know. The, the Dawn <laughs> has shown its dominance yet again uh winning laic very narrow finish in the end that that finals was looking tough (laughs) but pulled it out and it's kind of like exactly what you would expect it's a very straightforward maridon list that ended up winning i think the the main differentiator is there's these two paths of the peak historically we've seen three or four in path maridon builds uh, but in exchange, you know, they're playing the double turbo energy as well to try and power up the iron hands, which is the other new addition into the deck. Um, so I, I don't hate those changes, to be honest. I think the two path is serviceable for disrupting towards the end of the game. And you don't need to spam the disruption as much against decks like Gardevoir and Charizard when you're taking two prizes with iron hands, which is ultimately like what you should be trying to do is attack with iron hands as quickly as possible in the early game and then closing out with your other attackers so andrew i'm curious for your thoughts on maridon coming out of laic like what do you think of the list that ended up winning what do you think this means for maridon do you think it's here to stay as a big basic archetype yeah uh maridon is just that deck it uh, <laughs> it really is. I was uh, incredibly impressed with uh, Juho's run. So major congratulations to Juho on a fantastic tournament run. Uh, looking at his his run, 
Uh, he played against uh, three Iron Valiant decks, uh, lost to one in round 10, uh, tied Noah Sawyer in round 15, and then won the finals. That might have been an ID into top eight, yeah, um, against Noah Sawyer. So did lose one, and then yeah. you said narrowly won one. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's tight. Obviously, two big basic decks just duking it out. But looking at Juho's uh, run undefeated against Gardevoir. That is what stands out to me. That's a statement. Undefeated yeah. against Gardevoir. Yes, and not from, not variants. I mean, it's not like, you know, Juho played against one Gardevoir. We're saying one, two, three, four, five, and beat back-to-back Gardevoirs in top eight and top four. And maybe that, more. There's a couple unreported decks in his, his history yeah. as well. Yes. So that is extremely impressive. And what kind of makes me irk about the list is the two path that I'm like, oh, you know, uh, like, how are you going to beat the decks like Gardevoir? But obviously that was not an issue. And I think that some of that has to do with like the new kind of hotness with the Gardevoir decks was that people were leaning into them being one step slower some of them not even playing battle vip pass right yeah and just saying like ah i'm just gonna mirage step and by just by kind of just conceding that i'm gonna mirage step or i'm only gonna get out a you know maybe a couple of ralts on turn one you are really setting the stage for like a speedy iron hands to absolutely dominate you right and paths do not matter yeah and i think what's noteworthy uh, about Maridon as compared to Chen Pao in that situation uh, is the turn-by-turn layout. Especially if Maridon goes first, uh, they're almost certainly attacking with Iron Hands on their on their second turn if they go first. And if they're going second, they can still attack with it on their first turn. And mm-hmm. so what that means is that they can use Iron Hands basically twice. Uh, they can hit into a Ralts or a Cresselia or whatever, and then they can also hit into the Mirage step uh, and you just kind of win if that happens. Game's over. Right? You Game's win. over. Because uh, yep. you just, even if you trade evenly the rest of the game, like they're taking two prize knockouts, you're taking one prize knockouts, you win before they win. And so the the pace of the Gardevoir decks can't really handle Iron Hands coming out of the gates as quickly as Maridon can do it. Whereas with Chen Pao, they have to take the off turn, right? They have to evolve. Mm-hmm. And realistically, if they go first, they might not even attack with Iron Hands on their second turn they need to Mm -hmm. hit so many pieces so what you're looking at is chen pao isn't putting on that pressure as quickly which gives you the time that you need to mirage step to evolve to do whatever Um, and even with like a slightly adjusted build it is not easy to get those big gardevoir knockouts on the second turn of the game even if you play like three rare candy two reversals that's like not easy to hit <laughs> and you're not going to have a lot of draw power in that situation either because you're going to need to evolve two of your vaults into Gardevoirs and so you're not going to have as many Curlias in play. So it makes it even harder to hit those combos. Um, so I think attacking with Iron Hands quickly with Maridon to me is a better strategy than doing it later in the game. And I'll continue to stand by like I almost feel like the Radiant Greninja play is better in Chen Pao because you're like removing multiple pokemon from the board it's more complicated but it like actually advances the game in a more effective way um yeah so i yeah i think juho completely saw through what gardevoir's plan was heading to this tournament and recognized that iron hands was the way to take advantage of that if he could attack with it quickly um and so and we actually and the same strategy is what ended up winning in seniors as well right um we saw just pulling up the list, Gabriel Fernandez winning with a very similar list. He played two double turbos and two iron hands. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Which is sick, but otherwise relatively streamlined. The other major difference is he didn't play path, um, which I think is maybe fine, right? Like if your plan is to just go iron hands trade and then trade out the rest of the game, you don't need to disrupt them with path. Path is more of like a Charizard out, if anything, because Charizard can respond to the iron hands if they evolve part of me feels like this was the perfect tournament for maridon to win with a 20 percent guardy meta share with decks trending a step slower by not playing battle vip pass um 
And yes, I agree. Juho kind of just was able to see that and perfectly take advantage of it. I was talking to Chip and uh, and uh, Azul and and Grant and Caleb, you know, leading up to the event, and um, they were saying that Baxcalibur Iron Hands about fifty percent of the time is capable of getting a turn two Iron Hands. That's fifty percent of the time, right? So, I mean, with Maridon. I have to imagine that you're you're able to get a turn two Iron Hands more than 50% of the time. And you because, have a turn one more than 0% of the time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, right, like you're going to get a turn one sometimes, not all the time, sometimes. And then like your turn two is, is probably closer to 60, 70, right? Uh, so you, you could see how big of a difference that makes. And that makes Maridon the most threatening iron hands deck and when the meta is a quarter of the field is this like slow deck that's really trying to capitalize on the late game iron hands can just kind of wipe the carpet out from underneath them and say you're not going to have an opportunity to use that game plan i'm going to run you off the table and it makes perfect sense the two decks that made the finals of the tournament it just it makes perfect sense right the meta was all guardy the two decks that make the finals are the decks that take advantage of that slow setup right yep yep 100 percent. now Looking at the list, there was only one. I mean, honestly, the list is solid. I like it. Uh, back to one Arvid, baby. Let's go. That was, you know, I played one Arvid in my world's list. Whatever, dude. You just, <laughs> it's not that good. It's not that good. I think Arvid's, it's not good enough to play two. I'm, I'm with it. Yep. It's not good enough to play two. Just play one. When you see it, you're not mad. <laughs> I kind of like you the two this... in this list because it gets you the Forest Seal Stone for double turbo, but. <laughs> I'm messing around with Peony now. Oh, uh, I don't like yeah. the peony builds. One, no, one Arvin, one peony, bro. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying the because it's like it gives you the second. You could just get two generators if you want. You could still play it like an Arvin. You can get you know a generator and the four seal stone. You fill your hand back up with Mew. You're chilling. Fill your hand That's... is maybe a, an extreme. <laughs> you draw a couple <laughs> cards. <laughs> But the one thing about this list that I'm not the biggest fan of, I mean, I do think the Zero Aura is interesting. It was obviously a brilliant meta call when 20% of the field is going to be another Gardevoir. way to trade into Guardi, yeah. Yep, yep. Because, like, you're, you're going hands, and then you're going Zero Aura, and they just hate their lives, right? So, like, that's... It, it just made sense. With 20% of the field, yeah, pl- go ahead. You know, really just drive that matchup home, and you could see that that paid off for Juho uh, uh, 10 times over. Uh, the one thing that that I'm not like super duper into is the three Iono because I think that Iono is a supporter that very quickly becomes upside down in this deck because you are going to go up a couple prizes before your opponent, which means that with three Iono in your deck, you're going to be Ionoing yourself to four and your opponent to six. And that is not what you want to do like almost ever. Right? So Yes, it's good to have that disruption at the end of the game. I think Iono's perfect count is two. So would you play Judge instead in that slot, or like any other supporter? Yeah, anything else? Just at maybe anything else. You could play a Judge there. You could play. See, part uh, of the reason I like Iono as a counterpoint is in the early game, it's the best push that isn't research because you're not shuffling your hand in and redrawing the same cards um so if you just need to see a, a chunk of cards and you don't have a research in your hand you have an iono that's like still acceptable um yeah that's why i like the heavier iono is just because if you're trying to from my perspective is you're trying to push to get that early attack and that and that iron hands ideally but you know raiku ride on whatever you're trying to attack with on that first turn and iono helps you do that more than judge helps you do that more than some of these other supporters help you do that that's fair and then, like, okay. towards the end of the game, it's almost like, who cares? You know, I, I played through most of my deck anyway, or, like, I played through it to an acceptable extent. I got Mew in play. Like, who cares? I know, but giving your opponent six cards feels so bad. Yeah, whatever, it's, man. It's like, certain... they're garbage anyway. Like, <laughs> you know, they, ha- they had a hand anyway. Like, who cares? <laughs> you don't know if their hand was good or not. Like, <laughs> That's true. That's true. I do like this list, though. I like it. I've been playing... Uh, with a very similar list on stream, and I think it's uh, I think it's very solid. I think Maridon, these big basic decks are here to stay. Uh, they showed that it doesn't matter how much how sweaty you want to get, how intricate you want your gameplay to be, you can still 
just get beat by a big basic deck and you <laughs> have to respect them. Roaring Facts. Moon, Roaring Moon, totally fraudulent. Um, its top finish was top 128. It was a 90th place. Was so that the is best a fraudulent fin finish? Yeah. That is fraudulent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Roaring Moon, that is an unserious deck. We're talking like Reequaza VMAX levels of fraudulent, okay? Like that's how fraudulent this is. Like Rayquaza VMAX, we're talking Russia Ram and Chart, uh, we're talking uh, Russia Ram and Zekrom Tag Team GX levels of fraudulent, okay? Oh, like, man. <laughs> yeah, I, it's like that, dude. It's like 90th place, man, yeah. it's like that. <laughs> I guess it kind of is. Yeah, it's just those are harsh words to throw around, so you have to, you can't do that lightly. <laughs> Russia yeah, Ram and Zekrom, uh, that's. Listen, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is tough, but listen, the placements don't lie. They don't. They don't. No, I I'm with you. You just those words carry weight is all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do have to before we talk about kind of what's ahead, it, we it'd be silly not to mention uh towards disqualification in some capacity. Oh yeah. Um, of course. So Tord was disqualified in day two. Um, he, if you want to see the story, I'd recommend just reading Tord's post on Twitter. Um, as far as I can tell, it's a pretty accurate telling. Like his his opponent from the actual round <laughs> corroborated it. Um, basically, Tord had multiple judge visitations over the course of the tournament regarding pace of play. Uh, something that we've actually talked about on the cast before directly is is Tord's pace of play. Um, I think this seems to have been a little mishandled, though, from the way that it was portrayed. The tour didn't really get like a interim chance to like appeal or a warning or anything along the way. He just went from like game lost DQ, uh, in the course of like two actions, um, by the judge team. So I I don't really know. I guess I wasn't there, but his opponent said that's basically what happened, and um, it seems a little odd to me that there wasn't like any communication along the way. That said, like, I don't wholly distrust the judging staff either. Like, I have to imagine there's something in there. Like, was it maybe, like, he should have been DQ'd in that exact moment? Maybe not. Um, but was he potentially abusing the clock over the course of the tournament? Probably. Yeah, he's playing Gardevoir again, so. <laughs> right. And I think, like, it's tough because you've got like the Pokemon TCG judging staff at large, right? And yeah. everybody knows about Tord. And Tord has been being watched for his pace of play and his gamesmanship of the clock for a long time. I'd say for at least a year, at least, right? This is not new. This is something that has been happening for a while. And... It even kind of welled up in the big conversation about what we should do about 50-minute best of three. Yeah. We had a cast talking about, is 50-minute best of three dead in the Pokemon TCG? Do we need to change the rules, right? And it's like, and Tord is kind of, and we've talked about this, Tord is, is, is out there asking the question, what is the slowest legal pace of play? Not a lot of people want to go asking that question. In fact, that question, even just asking the question, can be conceived as, is cheating and uh, against the spirit of the game. But the way that Pokemon's rules are set up, they encourage everybody who plays to ask what is the slowest legal pace of play. I played Gardevoir. I felt it. I had to tell myself to forget that that question exists and just basically play stupid, right? <laughs> as to not be a poor sport. Right? Yeah. I, I did. I did. Because the one round that I tied, uh, I could have played slower in game two. 100%. Sure. I won a 33-minute yeah. game one. What does that tell me? All I got to do, if I play slow enough, game two Take ain't finishing, right? long enough turn one, yeah. Yep. It, but, I, but I didn't. I couldn't do that because that is cheating, right? It's like, but I know that. So it's like, so if I really wanted to find the line... I could have, but I'm like, I know that those are slippery slopes and you can't really do that. So it's like, I'm just going to have, and you know what? I took a tie that round and that tie that round led me to play against the guy that donked me. Right. Yeah. And maybe that was my unraveling for the whole event totally, was that yeah. I didn't, 
I didn't slam the brakes and slow play hard enough, right? You know, and it's like, and I didn't, right? I allowed my opponent the chance to play out the game and win. And sure enough, we tied. And then I got donked and that, you know, and then everything, uh, you know, I ended up top uh, 256. It's not, you know, it, it's tough. So when your rules ask you to ask, what's the slowest legal pace of play, then you are going to have your your players basically gamesmanship you're going to have them trying to gamify the clock and toward is just one of the most you know uh serious cutthroat competitors in the pokemon tcg and has no qualms with that these are the rules i am going to finesse them as hard as i can right yeah uh, i'm gonna walk that line right uh, i'm gonna figure out what it is because i want to win and in my mind the rules need changed. That's I agree. in my mind. Because like, I know for me personally, I'm not going to walk that line because I, yeah, it's just not what I'm going to do. Right. Uh, Cause I don't want to be toward. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who gets made an example of. <laughs> right. That is not for me, bro. This game is my career. I cannot afford to be made an example of. Absolutely not. This is not what I'm doing. So, uh, so I'm not going to put myself out there like that. I am going to be a good sport and I'm going to pretend I do not, uh, pretend, pretend I do not see it. Right. And if we tie, we tie. Oh, well, I won't play Guardy again. You know, I learned my lesson. No more Guardy, whatever. So, but, but for Tord, he's been walking that line for a long time now. It does kind of sound like, you know, like I said, you got all of these judges, worldwide judges. Right. And I think that there are some judges who have a very firm opinion that Tord, uh, is crossing been, lines yeah, yeah. and has been cheating and deserves to be disqualified, right? And then you've got some judges who maybe don't see it that way. And then, you know, you kind of have this perfect storm of like, it's, it almost seemed like it was a hit. Like, it's like, oh, we're, gonna, we're getting him this time. Just, yeah. you've got enough people together who don't agree with the way he plays. You've got enough people together who are, who are judges who don't agree with the way he plays, and it's happening, right? Yeah, that's kind of my perspective as well. And I'll underlie all this. Please bear in mind around this conversation, a DQ is never not run by the head judge, right? Like, and that also yeah. means that there's no appeal to be had, right? Because the head judge has already made their call on the matter. Um, right. So the head judge did agree that a DQ was the penalty to take. Regardless, you can make you know opinions about the head judge, but that was what happened here. My personal opinion is in the exact moment he was DQ'd toward might not have been slow playing. This feels to me like a, almost like a retribution penalty yes uh, like you know how they do in real sports when they make a bad call and they give one back to the other team that's like a little on the 100%. fence percent it, it feels <laughs> like that to me where Ford has been walking the line for a while and definitely crossed it on that stream game from uh, a couple oh, weeks he back. has crossed he has absolutely crossed it before 100 and, so, and everybody's seen it yeah and so this was like the judge team's way of of running that back is what it feels yeah. like to me um, maybe I'm reading into that wrong, but that's like clearly what it seems to me. Because it doesn't feel like he was he was necessarily like extraordinarily red-handed guilty at this event or no. in this situation, but he has been. Yes, <laughs> so, correct. So it's just like so he has been like blatantly red-handed, just like just like kind of manipulating the clock brazenly, right? And it just seemed like you had enough judges who were fed up enough that they were just ready to do just like, nah, dude, we just gonna, we're gonna make an example out of you right here. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of my opinion on it is this is a retribution penalty of sorts for, you know, prior infractions that were uncalled. Yeah. And for that, it's almost like, dude, you, you play like that for long enough. You were going to get smacked. Yeah. <laughs> you were, this is why none of us wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is why I was like I didn't even want to play Guardy man because right. it comes with that and it is a problem with the rules and the rules do need changed and I agree with Jordan I still think he's the best he's the best dang player in the game oh, and definitely. I still think yeah. that he's the best dang Gardevoir player in the game and he's he's freaking brilliant he's so good but that's but you gotta encourage players to play as smart as they can and not get punished for it right you need to make the rules in a way that they encourage the games in front of you to be finished you need to make the rules in a way 
that they do not encourage players to ask what is the slowest pace of play because they will ask themselves that question and you do not want to be a judge trying to figure out what is the slowest legal pace of play nobody wants to figure that out right yeah i'm with you and in the spirit of assuming positive intent like i do think Tord is the best player in the game right now and i think hopefully this is a wake-up call for him and that he'll just adjust his procedure going forward i think he's a smart enough guy to recognize that situation and and take action on it um so you know i don't have any like ill wishes towards toward i I do hope that he sort of cleans up that whole situation though and like i do agree i agree like he he just recognized a flaw in the system and has been taking advantage of it um and hopefully this also inspires pokemon to you know if they're at the point where they're actually disqualifying their most noteworthy most storied player in the world then like something needs to change probably right so it was the same thing with it was the same thing with jason klasinski in 2015 except they changed the rules like instantly after he did it right you have your three-time world champion who just won you know a national championship by abusing the clock right you either what you strip him of his titles and disqualify him or you change the just change the freaking rules right yeah like like, don't do that like all right you know he found a flaw in your system tighten it up yeah (laughs) just tight tighten it up and we're at the same point now Tord has been finding flaws in your system tighten it up (laughs) yeah it's sad that the flaws are in the same part of the system it makes it feel like that's a really difficult problem to solve so i don't envy being like the masterminds behind trying to solve that oh it's so easy to solve (laughs) best of one yep yeah i mean fair but you know there's also going to be the community outrage that goes along with of course there's going to be outrage it's not great but it is the solution fair enough get over it yeah. It's just the it's the solution that or you're going to keep getting people get disqualified and you're going to have this gray area and you're going to have people abusing the clock. Yeah. And we've had whole episodes about it. But anyways, I make every deck faster. <laughs> two, turn games. two turn games. Two turn games. Yeah. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I guess the one the one final statement I'll make uh, since you mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh is people talk about how the time is not a problem in other games, but other games do not search their deck as much as Pokemon. Other games do not shuffle no. as much as Pokemon. Like, it's just not the same. So, um, It's not. Even a deck that can win in four turns like Mu VMAX, it doesn't matter. Four so turns much Pokemon. shuffling. Oh my god. Uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's wrap up then by looking at, at what's ahead so juho and noah making the finals with maridon and Entei valiant Entei valiant and maridon winning both other divisions at laic big basics the kind of the top dogs to beat at this point in the metagame san antonio is just a couple weeks away andrew what are you thinking is the the go forward in the paradox rift metagame i feel like it's time for Mew to make its triumphant yes. return. Absolutely. Yes. It's feeling real Mew-like right now. I'm thinking Mew's perfect time. It got ninth place at LAIC. Not too hot, you know, but right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right freaking there and uh, is just poised and ready to strike. I could see Mew really uh, making a, a very a very big resurgence um especially with your big basic decks like maridon you know who does not give two squats about iron valiant or uh iron hands is mu vmax absolutely yeah i'm i'm and on with the same roaring page. moon being fraudulent roaring moon is fraudulent you only got to worry about charizard no problem here comes mu baby <laughs> yeah i'm with you i think i think the metal will resurge on you for sure uh, or at least top placements will resurge on mu I also think it's just harder and harder to like really afford the space to tech for Mew. There's just so much going on in the metagame now that, and there's so many good decks. Like, are you really going to slot in that Spirit Tomb? Are you really going to slot that Drapion? Maybe, but you have to really be thoughtful about that choice in a way that you didn't have to be, uh, you know, six months ago when you're talking about Mew. So I think Mew is a really primed spot right now. 
we do have a European regional coming up this weekend, which is Mew's favorite time of year. So <laughs> we'll uh, probably see it happen right there. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you the same thing I told Jesse in the group chat, and that's I think Mew is going to collect the Europe tax this weekend. Yes, <laughs> I agree. If I were playing, if I were playing at either Brisbane or the European regional, I would be. I I would have Mew sleeved up and ready to roll. Yeah, yep, this weekend. Yeah. Yes, hundred percent. Ain't nobody playing Spear Tomb, bro. Ain't nobody playing no Drapions. Just roll in and collect your fat dub. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think the other potential deck that could thrive is I think Charizard because because it's strong into Mew, and I think Charizard can hold its own against Maraidon even with Iron Hands, uh, because Charizard can pretty much instantly respond to the Iron Hands, whereas yep. Gardevoir cannot. Uh, so I think Charizard is actually an okay call as well going into the weekend. But Mew is is totally like the deck that I vibe with right now. Um, it's just yep. so, so good into both of the finalists. Like if you look at their metagame stats, they suck so hard against Mew, both of them. So <laughs> <They do. laughs> I think the only other deck that I would really consider besides Mew would be something similar to like Gabriel Fernandez or Juho's Maradon list, but like throw in a Beach Cord Drapion instead of the Paths. Uh, and like yeah. try and get ahead of the Mew while still playing a big basic deck. Um, I think either of those options are really well poised heading into LAIC. I agree. Or sorry, not LAIC. In- post LAIC. Post LAIC, yes. And both of us are going to be attending San Antonio. So uh, very much looking forward to that. We are uh the half of the team that needs to post some results, Riley. So it is yeah. time. Well, it I've is made day time. Two, it's our time. So. You made day two. Well, you know. So at least one of us has done anything. I won a league (laughs) challenge last night at Full Grip Games. (laughs) That's fair. I went to one league challenge and dropped out in round two. So that's my. Also, (laughs) my how many points did your day two finish get you? Not nearly as many as as yours, buddy. But it's my top 256 LAIC. No, it didn't. My 80 championship points. Thank you. (laughs) That's as much as a top 16 regional. (laughs) It's fine, man. It's fine. When I do better than you at the European International Championship, we'll see who's laughing. Uh Uh-huh. We will. (laughs) Scoreboard. Last year, EUIC. Top 64, baby. Let's go. Okay. I I was talking about this with JW. (laughs) I forget it was on the cast or off. But I've definitely had the most reliable post-pandemic results out of anybody in our group by a mile. So I'm not here. Okay. (laughs) You have. You have. But I'll put myself in second place there. That's fine. (laughs) Your second most reliable. GW is the best spike finishes by far. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, And and, and Jesse is the second best spike finishes. Yeah. (laughs) But. Yes, I know. Me and you are all reliable. I know. And now we got these guys over I here know. who were just filled with top 128s. And I now know. they're talking their smack. It's like, bro, we were carrying the torch the whole freaking time. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. is insufferable. But. <laughs> oh, of course he is, bro. I just, just remind him that for like two years, he didn't top 32 a single event. All right. Just keep it. Yeah. Scoreboard. Yeah. Scoreboard, bro. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, listen, points, I didn't buddy. have to listen. You go into hibernation for two years. I guess, you know, I guess you could pop off. Go ahead. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap off for today, I would love to just share since we're recording on Thanksgiving. What is something that you're thankful about with your experience in the Pokemon trading card game? Andrew could be recent history, could be more generic. But what is something that you are thankful for? Oh, I am so thankful for the community of players, uh, not just here at Full Grip Games, though I I would like to give a special shout out to the Full Grip Games local community. I have had the most wonderful experiences playing in our local Gym Leader Challenge tournaments, uh, making friends with the new, kind of the new post-pandemic locals that we've had. Uh, here at Full Grip, it's been a wonderful community, but also the community of players that I met in Brazil at LAIC. Just a fantastic group of people. So, so warm and welcoming and encouraging. It has been a real blessing, and I'm very thankful for that. Absolutely. Yeah, when I think of Pokemon, what I always tell people about when they ask about Pokemon in sort of my day-to-day life is I am so thankful that Pokemon is a way for me to enjoy the world with a community of awesome people who I've built some of my strongest friendships of my entire life with. And 
you know, get an excuse to travel to, to London or Sao Paulo or Japan with the people who matter most and then also sling some cards. Like, can't beat it. Can't beat it. So um, shout out to the entire Pokemon community for making this such a special game. You know, it's a, it's a really cool group of folks that partake in this hobby. And, um, and I'm also thankful for all the listeners of Tag Team who make this cast possible. Uh, we're ever appreciative for all your support. 100%. And with that, that'll do it for the cast today. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us on the X app. No, you're saying it too now. <laughs> you have to, bro. I know. I hate it. Listen, I hate the future, but it is what it is, man. <laughs> yeah. The X. X gonna give it to you, bro. Okay. Smiles with Riles and at Enjoyfriend and at Tag Team Podcast. You can listen to Tag Team Podcast wherever you can find uh, podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, uh, and then uh, also on Tricky Jim YouTube channel. Thank you so much again for listening and your ongoing support over the years. We hope you have an awesome Thanksgiving if you're living in the States and celebrate. We hope you have an awesome rest of your week regardless if you don't. <laughs> and we will catch you all next time. Peace. See you.